taking a Bible, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 8 for our Old Testament reading? And then we will find our way over to Acts chapter 8 for our New Testament reading from where our message will come this morning. First, Exodus chapter 8. We look into a scene from the Exodus where Moses is announcing and administering the plagues against Egypt in the effort to bring Pharaoh to release the children of God to go and worship him. Let us prepare by praying together for illumination from the Lord. Our gracious God and Father, upon this occasion of the public reading of your word and its preaching, we ask, Father, that the ministry of your spirit would be indeed gracious toward us, that he as a good plowman would break up the fallow ground of our hearts, making the soil good and ready to receive the seed, the good seed of your word. Gracious God, please come to help us. Grant that your word would take root in us and that would bring forth a harvest of righteousness. We pray, O God, that you would give us ears to hear the voice of our master. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 8, beginning at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on a man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Turning now to Acts chapter 8. Here we are introduced to another of Satan's magicians. Many years in the future from the passage we just read, but still a magician in the same kingdom, serving the same dark lord, the devil, still wishing to do the same work, oppose the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria 
had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Beloved, this is the word of God. In the reading, we have come upon the scene of a great conflict, a great conflict between Simon the magician and the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Simon the magician is dominated, isn't he? He is dominated by a common lust of sinful man. He desires to control divine power so he can draw other men to himself. He, of course, would be willing to say, His desire is for God, but he would only be willing to say that as part of negotiating a price to purchase more of this power. What Simon really wants is the adoration of men by convincing them that he himself, that something in his life is the power of God on the earth, which means Simon the magician refuses to live by faith. Because living by faith would take all power out of his hands. Living by faith would boast in Christ, not man. Faith rejoices that Christ alone has exercised the power that puts men and women on the right side of God. But Simon wants to be the one who offers this power. For him, to live by faith would would require a kind of death, death to his lifelong ambitions. But if he did so die, he would come alive for the first time in the kingdom of God. Now, because Simon was a sorcerer and an occultist, he was not so much a public entertainer. Don't apply modern thoughts of magicians to this ancient one. Because he was a sorcerer and a, and an occultist, we might think he is very different from us. But Simon was just a man, a sinful man at that, which means his lust for power was not the unique, rare lust of a sorcerer. Don't think of it that way. 
His lust was the ordinary lust of a sinful man. It is a common lust. And this lust is still very, very near to Christian churches today. In fact, the lust to possess a power, to bring down the Holy Spirit at will, and to create at will an experience between man and God, that lust is live and quite readily available near the churches of Christ today. We have a lust to use the power of our personalities. This lust is in the churches today. We have the lust to use the power of our music technology to pull down the Holy Spirit and mediate the power of God through our speakers and our bass. We have the lust to use the power of our buildings and the power of our budgets, the lust to use the power of our giftedness. We desire these powers to harness the adoration of men, and we sanctify it all by saying that it is all for God. Beloved, it is the same lust you find in Simon of Samaria. Now, it is a terrible thing to be like Simon the magician. A terrible thing. He was an officer in Satan's kingdom. He was one of Satan's bosses in the city of Samaria. If you like a little wise guy lingo, a little mobster mafia lingo, this was one of Satan's bosses on the streets of a city full of half-Jews. Simon actively was leading people away from Christ. Some of the early church fathers, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, they tell us that this Simon never became a Christian. Some of them attribute to him to be the father of Gnosticism, a heresy against the Christian faith. If the church fathers are correct, this Simon, this very one, became an even more famous opponent of the Christian faith, even traveling to Rome to work against the Christians. He became even more like his father, the devil. But I want you to listen to something carefully today. It is a very terrible thing for you if you are a modern-day Simon to be actively drawing people away from Christ, to be telling people Christ has no wrath against the sins the Bible teaches, to be telling people there is no judgment coming from Christ, to be telling people faith in Christ is not necessary, to be telling people that they are on the right side of the universe without Christ, leading people away from Christ makes you just another Simon, the magician, makes you a child of the devil. It is just another way of using Satan's power and using Satan's lies to control and keep the souls of men for yourself if you are leading them away from Christ. It is diabolical. It is doomed to fail as surely as the kingdom of the devil is doomed to fail. So if this morning, at any point in this service, you discover that you 
our assignment. I want you to hear the words of verse 22, and I want to get to them early in this message. For your sake, verse 22, the apostle of Christ says, to all Simons, including this one, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What a glorious invitation to a boss of the devil to turn out from his current employment and unite with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are like Simon, our hope for you is not that you would be destroyed, but that you would be saved. That Satan's power over you would be broken by the Lord himself. The yoke would be cast off, and you would be united under a new yoke to Jesus that your heart would be healed from its evil intentions, healed by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. If you are like Simon, please do hear this. You are being warned this morning, and you are being offered a way of escape. How could we have a public worship service and neglect the very ministry to all the Simons of the earth that is throbbing through the words of this passage. The ministry of the apostles of Christ is a ministry to devils, to call even Satan's children to faith. Beloved, unite with us under one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. His mercy, his power are great. He will make your heart right for the first time, and he will rule you by love. Well, we'll come back to Simon in a little while, but we first have to see something else that was going on in the city of Samaria, a city filled with people whom the Jews ordinarily had nothing to do with. But the very city, understand, the very region that our Lord Jesus said back in Acts 1, verse 8, the very city that he said he would plunder from the devil and take souls captive to his kingdom. And now we are coming to the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The word of Christ is coming to its fruition right before our eyes. He is coming through his apostles, through his servants, through Philip, and he is plundering the devil's city and the devil's boss. Now, the reason a man like Simon could be so successful and evil is because there were so many people easily attracted to visible demonstrations of power. Did you notice how Luke, who's writing this book, went out of his way in our text to tell us how amazed the people were about Simon, verses 9, verses 10, verse 11. Look how Luke presses this on us. Verse 9 says that Simon amazed the people of Samaria. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. This was not just for the lower class. This was also for the upper class, this boss of the devil. 
And verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Luke wants to impress upon us how easily, how easily our sinful hearts are attracted to a sensation of power, to a sensation of glory, to a sensation of strength. Satan knows this about us, so he uses it to his advantage. The devil knows that you and I, in our fallen condition, are more interested in a man who is a sensation than a man who is a servant. Who are the Christians that most interest you in the United States? Are they men who others regard as a sensation on a platform at a conference? Or are they nobodies who are servants in nobody churches, in nobody towns? Or as my old friend Mark used to call those towns, East Burlap somewhere. He made that up. Beloved, in your heart, in my heart, the devil knows what's in there. An easy attraction to the sensation and not the servant. When Moses comes to deliver God's people out of Egypt, Pharaoh's magicians were able to imitate many of the miracles performed by Moses. In fact, Exodus 7.22, which we didn't read, says because of the abilities of his magicians, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to Moses or Aaron. In Mark 13, verse 22, Jesus tells his disciples, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Here's the point. Visible displays of power often suggest to a sinful, unconverted heart that a divine power is nearby and that it can be manipulated for my needs as I define them. This is how the unconverted Simon interpreted Philip's ministry And this is all packed into one verse, verse 13. Look how the unconverted Simon interprets Philip's ministry of the gospel. Simon gave mental assent to the preaching of Philip. Verse 13 says he believed. That's a spurious belief. We'll mention it again in a minute. Simon not only gave mental assent, he gave physical assent to baptism by Philip. And then it says in verse 13, Simon gave his amazement to the miracles of Philip. Everybody has been amazed at Simon, and now Simon for the first time is amazed at Philip. But we should not be impressed by Simon becoming amazed. Just as the people of the city being amazed at Simon did them no good, his being amazed at Philip will do him no good. You're being amazed By what I could do to this sanctuary with $100,000, it would do you no good. 
I could have your seat rumble whenever I say wrath. Be one of those interactive theater experiences. Have you been to one of those? They're not worth the money. Beloved, this amazement does Simon no good. It did the people of Samaria no good. Simon was not converted by a true faith in Jesus Christ. He did not rest in the power of the cross. He did not rest in the good news of the gospel, though that was all that Philip kept talking about. It just went over him like wind over a rock. Simon did not rest in the news that Christ crucified and Christ risen reconciles sinful men to God and being so reconciled, they are now reconciled to every earthly power. Simon would not listen to that because he did not want to be reconciled to every earthly power. What did he want? He wanted to control earthly powers. He wanted to be the man of God in Samaria who could mediate real power between God and men and make a shekel on the side. You see, when Simon later asked Peter, how much, how much silver do you want to teach me how to give people the spirit? and put my hands on people anytime I want and give them the Holy Spirit. How much do you want, Peter? When Simon thought that was a good question, can you just imagine that? He thought that was a good question. (laughs) When he was thinking that was a really good question, do you know why he was thinking that was a really good question? Because that's how he has always conducted his sorcery and occultic activity, as a trade, as a money-making scheme. That's why he could easily access that question and bring it to the apostles. The same apostles, mind you, who earlier, when, were, when they were asked if they had any alms for the crippled man, said, we don't have any money. And now, a little later in Acts, they don't want any money. Simon wanted more than the gospel was giving. Because he did not see Christ giving everything. He wanted power himself. Simon's heart, then, is like the rocky ground in the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4. Do you remember the rocky ground? Simon heard the word. He immediately received it with joy. But having no root in himself, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. That's the believing of Simon in verse 13. It's the shallow believism that our Lord Jesus himself saw in many to whom he preached, where where it says he knew what was in man, though they said they believed in him. You see, Satan locked Simon, locked him into a quest for amazement, and that's exactly how Satan beat him. Simon remained dissatisfied 
in the invisible power of the risen Christ. He remained dissatisfied in what God himself says is the power and wisdom of God, the cross. The cross was foolishness to Simon. Beloved, I say to you with as much love and urgency as I can say to you, be on guard against Satan's interest to amaze you. Satan wants you to be dissatisfied with weakness and to be amazed by strength. He wants you to be dissatisfied with suffering and to be amazed by glory. Satan wants you to be dissatisfied with smallness and to be amazed by bigness. He wants you to be dissatisfied with quietness and rest and to be amazed by loudness and activity. He wants you to be dissatisfied with the ordinary and to be amazed by the extraordinary. He wants you to be dissatisfied with everything that is not amazing. He wants amazing to be the norm, to be baseline in your life. He wants you to crave and to seek visible displays of power. He wants to lead you away from the finished work of Jesus Christ. He wants to lead you away from the gospel because the gospel declares to your soul that you are fully reconciled to all powers, visible and invisible. The gospel declares that you are Lord of Satan in Jesus Christ. Through Christ's blood, everything has been made subservient to you and to your salvation. Satan doesn't want you to hear that. Satan wants you restless. He wants you striving to control things. And he will use amazement to put sugar on your restlessness. He knows he cannot leave you without the Splenda. Now, some of you don't know what Splenda is. Five thoughts on Splenda. No, Splenda is a sugar substitute. Satan knows he has to sugar the lies, and he does it with amazement. Here is how the demonic power of amazement gets close to our hearts. We start to think or say something like this. Boy, wouldn't it be great if a famous Green Bay Packer became a member of our church or a famous Milwaukee Brewer or a famous Milwaukee Bucks player, wouldn't it be amazing if one of those guys became a member of our church? Then we would have some power to draw people into our fellowship. Michael Horton directly challenged this demonic impulse in his very, very good book, Ordinary, subtitled Sustainable Faith in a Radical, Restless World. Horton says, What would it say to our youth group if instead of inviting the former NFL star, we had a couple visit who had been married for 45 years to talk honestly 
about the ups and downs of growing together in Christ? What if we held up those ordinary examples of humble and faithful service over the worldly success stories that amaze? Well, what would it say if we did that? Beloved, it would exalt the power of Christ is what it would do. And those being given saving faith in him would recognize his glory in ordinary ways, wouldn't they? Well, what is God's alternative to the devil's restless quest for amazement that we are finding among the Samaritans? Because they are enthralled in it. They are bound to it. The whole city is under the sway of the devil's restless quest for amazement. How is the kingdom of God going to compete with it? They don't even have jumbotron screens yet when, Pete, when Philip shows up in this town. They don't even have electricity yet. Beloved, if you ever need your pastor to give you a private rant, what he thinks about jumbo screens and public worship, just tap me on the shoulder and say, Go. Bring your lunch. What will the kingdom of God bring to counter this wall-to-wall shag amazement in Samaria? Here it is. Here's what the kingdom of God brings. Preaching the word, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, hearing the good news about the kingdom of God through the preaching of the word comes into Samaria like a hot knife cutting through butter. It's the plundering sword from the mouth of the risen Christ in the ministrations of his apostles and his deacon Philip Boom, boom, souls are being pulled and taken captive. Through what? Through preaching. Listen carefully how strong this runs through our passage. It runs just as strong through this passage as the amazement language ran early in the passage. Verse 4, chapter 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Verse 6. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. How did the sinful men and women of Samaria, who were under a very heavy lust for amazement, how did a people who were enthralled with the amazing Simon the magician of Samaria How did they turn away from Satan's city boss to an unseen Christ? 
seated in the heavenly places. How did that happen? By hearing the gospel and believing the gospel through faith. What was the report back to Jerusalem? They had received the word of God. Even though the spirit is going to be poured out on Samaria, even though Samaria is going to get its Pentecostal day when Peter and John come down, the spirit had already created true and saving faith before Peter and John got there. They had received the word of God. So understand, it was not an NFL superstar they brought with them. Let me get that right historically. Philip did not bring a gladiator team to lift up mules in front of the people of Samaria so that they could have some amazement. There were signs and wonders and miracles, but it was believing and receiving the word that was the power of God in the hearts of the people. No great feats of human strength did it. No expense of great amounts of silver and gold did it. No chicken bones did it arranged on the ground in a certain geometric shape. No rat's blood did it poured out over the top of a special rock in the woods. No animal sacrifices did it offered in the right way, at the right place, on the right day. None of that did it. No licking the back of a special kind of frog did it. I'm just telling you about my childhood here. Faith did it all. Faith in the preached word of Christ. Faith in the good news about the kingdom of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Beloved, we make it harder to hear for our neighbors when we make it easy to be amazed. Believe that. When we become theologians of glory, we make it very difficult for our neighbors to see the theology of the cross. Beloved, it was hearing the good news about the kingdom of God through the preaching of the word of God that plundered the souls of men and women and brought them captive and loved into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But what is the good news about the kingdom of God? What makes it good? It is good because it is God's own declared promise. This is what Philip was preaching. It is good news because it is God's own declared promise to give a full redemption from sin and a full redemption from Satan's power and a full redemption from the corruption that is in the world. It is God's promise to give a full redemption by applying it to us through his spirit, everything accomplished in his son. That's what's so good about it. It lifts us up out of all of the vagaries and tensions and fears of the earthly powers, and it makes us lords over them all because we are now united to Jesus Christ, freely forgiven all our sins, bound to the Savior in his power, ruling and reigning with him in the partnership of the gospel. Nothing now is falling out 
on the earth against the children of God in Christ. Luther said this so well. Luther said, through faith, every Christian is exalted over all things and by virtue of spiritual power is absolutely Lord of all things. Consequently, nothing at all can ever harm such a one to whom, indeed, all things are subject and forced to serve for salvation. That's the good news of the kingdom. Simon looks like a monstrosity in the light of that power. He looks like a clown in the light of that power. In the light of that love, he is nothing. He serves no master of love, of hate only. What Luther has said is testified too clearly in Scripture. Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Everything is subservient to the Christian. Every war, every tax hike, every reassessment on your personal real estate, it's all subservient to the Christian's salvation. Every conflict, every trial, there's no more restless fear that I, that I pay off the right deities, that I leave the right dead cat at the right place in the woods. All of that is defeated by Jesus Christ. And we are at peace because we are lords, small l, with Christ who is Lord, capital L. 1 Corinthians 3.22, the apostle says, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. I thought Satan was the ruler of this world. Not for the Christian. The world is yours, beloved. Pray for any country you want. Pray that the gospel would advance into it. Rule it at the throne of Jesus Christ. Never forget what Alistair Begg said. He would go to Sunday evening church as a kid in Wales, and the way he heard the minister pray for the nations to be saved through the gospel of Christ, he thought for sure that his little church ran the world, that they were the United Nations. That's right. A little child saw things clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is good news because it even means that when you can only say one thing with great conviction, I am a weak sinner. When you're in one of those days where that's the only thing you can say, guess what? It is not Satan who you have sinned against. It is the eternal God. And what has he done about it? He has ruled over your sin with the death of his son. He has answered your deep wretchedness with the blood of his son. He has taken all your debts against him and he has canceled them in his son. So even when Satan would think, well, this is the day I get him back. Look how low he is. Look how depressed he is. Look how much he hates himself. 
even on that day, Satan is defeated by Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, keep us, O Lord, as our true shepherd from the restless quest to be amazed. Simon's heart, though dark, full of bitterness and gall, it is not an uncommon heart. Lord, we pray that as your children, we would not wander back to these marketplaces, these vanity fairs, and seek to be amazed there. Let us indeed look up. Let us indeed seek the things that are above. Let our Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at your right hand, testify to us that he is Lord of all earthly powers, and he has given them over to us in union with him as we pray in his name and by his spirit. Father, we thank you and praise you how this so quickly and deeply quiets your children. And should all the world be opposed to us, should earthly powers continue to be arranged against us, or be arranged even more fiercely against us yet? Should all the devils come forth and accuse us and say things that we seem to remember or that we know too hotly now? Oh, Father, we pray that though whatever powers come against us, that our faith would overcome in Jesus Christ. For it tells the full truth from the alpha to the omega point that nothing can separate us from Jesus Christ. So let us not separate from him. Father, we do pray for any who are even yet Simons who want to use their place in this world to lead men away from Christ to reconcile men to an unnamed universe who is without a face and to please and tickle their heart that there is no wrath but only peace and more peace. Oh, Father, come and grant them repentance. If there's any Simon in the hearing of this word, grant them repentance, Lord. Help them indeed see that they are enthralled by wickedness Pardon them abundantly, Lord. Heal their crooked heart as you have healed ours. Give them the same Christ you have given to us. Give them the same faith you have given to us, the same Spirit's power you have given to us. And Father, we pray that we would be unafraid, unashamed, unstoppable in continuing in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.